And we seek blessings upon the Prophet Right, so first we're doing Surah 107 before so Surah Al-Ma'un, the Surah is referring to the people who deny the afterlife, from what I understand, and they're the ones that sort of um, take part in performative faith. So um, I'm not sure if that's an actual term or if it's one that I just coined, but um, it's like when... It's a, good, it's a good term. Keep going. <laughs> okay. um, but it's essentially when a person will sort of pray only for the sake of praying in front of people but they won't pray in private and um, they're not good to the people that are needy like orphans and widows and they don't help out in their community and whatnot and in doing so in taking part in only performative faith they're insulting not only the people around them to who they're like presenting the good character but also Allah because it's sort of considered um, as a form of trying to deceive him um, because it's like you're only doing things when they serve you rather than doing things for Allah and to better your faith in relationship with Allah. And so, of course, um, the tafsir the, the said that that's not something that Allah will take kindly, since um, it is a great disrespect to try to deceive the all-knowing. Um, and so they will not be rewarded for the for the deeds that they are doing performatively, like even the prayers and whatnot that they do in front of people. In fact, they will be punished for um, just showing off and boasting and doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff. And um, their time in the afterlife will not be easy. Yeah, so so a couple, a couple of big points here that, that you've run attention to. So, uh, so the student is asking, right, have you seen Araita, uh, have you seen Alavi, the one who you who accuses the following of being a lie? And what is uh, what are they accusing of being a lie? The day of judgment. Yeah. And and so then, what are some attributes? Uh, they turn orphans away. Now think about why that's especially significant. You know, like in our society, in the past year, we've been having a lot of conversations about superiority and privilege and the dispossessed and such. Uh, in any society, the most dispossessed people, the most vulnerable people are the orphans. And if you ever want to see the true condition of a community, see how they treat the orphans. Yeah. And this applies to us as well, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, uh, by and large in our society, it's very hard to get people who will be foster parents. Mm-hmm. Muslim community, uh, you'll see much, much more common with my percentage in the evangelical Christian community of, of people who are taking orphans, who are taking foster children, perhaps even adopting children and such, was driven by their Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I even think that that's a reason, you know, one of those few reasons why uh, uh, America is in some capacity on top. Uh, it is because of the the practice of the evangelicals in our in our community to take care of orphans. What what else? Uh, what is often the the plight of an orphan? Usually, they get pulled into prostitution, mm-hmm. or they get exploited. So, when I was in, for a brief time studying in Egypt, even the second night we were there. We went to this high market area and we saw these little kids who were selling jewelry and bread and such. 
and they all had like dirt on their faces. And then it occurred to me later, oh, wow, these are all orphans, you know, who've been pulled in to, to sell this stuff, uh, you know, even if it's just bread. And, and, and so, you know, when we think of sweatshops, in some cases, sweatshops are just hiring local people with minimal pay. And in many cases, they're pulling in orphans. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, I mean, that's, I'm not saying that's fortunate, but at least sometimes there's some care about even them that are being abused. And a lot of uh, orphans get pulled into uh, sex trafficking. I think I might have made, made the point, I don't know if I've discussed with you before, but so for Eid prayers very often, I actually go to a local detention center and lead Eid prayers with all these young people. And these are people who've been pulled out of sex trafficking. And they're literally from all over the world, Bangladesh, Jordan, you know, uh, the Ivory Coast. And in the sex trafficking trade, they've literally made them their way all the way into the United States, all the way to Chicago. They're Muslim kids. Like literally no one knows about them. So, but here, these people are not the people who are not taking care of orphans. These are the people that are especially turning them away. Mm-hmm. On top of that, they don't encourage, they don't give any attention to feeding the poor. And so you get the point about the, the performative uh, aspect of religion. That's literally what it is. It's just performance. And so they do it right in front of other people. So here, and so they, um, uh, so woe to those who pray just, they don't pay attention at all to their prayers. They're just praying so other people show up and see them. And so we've seen one aspect in terms of character and social service, empty. The other aspect in terms of prayers, empty. And, and they won't even give the smallest aid. So they rejected even the smallest amount of aid. So these are sort of like the archetypical worst people. Yeah. Who else is there on a spectrum of goodness and badness? And the last line also gives us a step towards the cure. So here, these people reject even small kindnesses. And so your rebuilding yourself is you start with small, small acts of good. Mm-hmm. And then you build upon those, and then you build upon those, and you build upon those. Make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, let me see if there's any other. I mean, so basically, I'm just adding to, to, to mm-hmm. what you shared. Everything you shared is good, and I'm just skimming through. Let's see if there's anything else. Do you have any questions about this surah? Not about the surah, but your comment about, um, I don't know if it just like cut out, but like you sort of keep coming and going with like, oh, really? um, yeah, um, but it's, um, you were saying something about the practice and the faith of evangelical Christians being sort of like intertwined with the success of America. Is that what mm-hmm. it was? Could yeah, you elaborate well, on that? So, so essentially, so a, a big part of America is, is Christianity, of course. And a big part of American Christianity is the evangelical community. Mm-hmm. And so it's the Protestant community. And within the, so the Catholics have a long history in America, but in terms of the founding of America, and it's a lot of it's Protestant or deist people, you know, who I think you're, you're probably with deist. These are very sort of like post Christians. They believe that there's a God, but God isn't involved in this world. Like agnostic? So they're different than agnostic. If this is okay. agnostic, is just saying, okay, I don't know if there's a God or not. Okay. Whereas the deist is saying, yeah, there's a God who sort of started, like, is the first cause, but then the universe is not working on its own. So God is not involved in people's lives. Okay. And then 
the consequence of a political theory means you have to figure out how to run society for yourself. God's mm -hmm. not going to help. But in any case, so the evangelical community, uh, when we think of the evangelical community, very often we think of these Trump supporters who just want to dominate everything and destroy everything for their white supremacy. Uh, uh, a whole lot, perhaps the majority still, of the evangelicals in our society are people who are also genuine and genuine Christians. Christianity, they do take care of orphans inside. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I wonder, and so the point I made is that if you want to look at the, the true conditions of society, look at how they treat their orphans. Right, yeah. So I'm suggesting that we do have, for all of its problems, we do have a very, America has a very strong DS, DCFS, Department of Children and Family Services. And we have in the news many streams of how you know, of the wrong that's happening in society, like all the kids that are being separated from their parents at the border. And still I'm saying, without disregarding any of those things, we do have a very large population of American society that takes care of foster kids sincerely and takes care of orphans. There are definitely, I have, I've had students over the years who were raised in foster homes where the parents were only taking foster kids because they get a government subsidy. Yeah. They get a lot of money, but I'm talking, I'm talking Aside from all the abuses, there's a giant core of evangelical Christians who take care of Okay. Yeah. I was just curious about that. So, any other questions or thoughts about any of this? Um, no, I don't think so. Cool. Let us go then to the next surah. Yeah. Um, so I got the sense that surah 106 and 105 are tied well because as a part of the tafsir form one of six it said that there was um i'm not sure if like decision is the right word but there was sort of a decision to separate the two surahs and to have surah 106 be more focused on the horish rather than like the entire battle and scheme of things that were that was happening at that time um but i did i originally didn't understand the separation aspect but i feel like after we discuss 105 i'll get it a little bit better um, and so anyways, the surah is uh, commenting in awe at Allah's benevolence is what I got because um, it was talking about how despite all the challenges that were um, present in that course of action, the Quraysh still um, succeeded through his grace, through his um, protection, through his protection, excuse me. And um he also granted unity to them is another thing that the, the seer has uh, mentioned. And so after stating like all the good that was done for them, it beckoned the Quraysh to pray to him in gratitude and to not compare any other idols, not raise any other equals um, besides him because there he is incomparable and um, it's sort of left off with like a tone of, of like failure to do that. Well, results in punishment both in this life it, was, it said something specifically about like um they will be um led to tasting hunger and other things and that will continue into the uh, afterlife as well yeah really good so so to to add to some of the points um that that you made yeah uh one is uh for me, for when they're compiling the quran into like the final official text that's taking place after the death of the prophet peace be upon him mm -hmm. so that's the time of the prophet peace be upon him 
uh, the, the, he had secretaries who would write out what he had, but the primary method of delivery and the primary method of preservation was memorization. As you know, first the Prophet receives these ayahs from Surah Al-Alaq, Ikra, Bismillah, receives these ayahs from a different surah, receives these ayahs from a different surah, so forth and so on. And, and then the companions would recognize the beginning of a surah by Bismillah as part of uh, its recitation. Uh, of course, Surah Tawbah, Surah 9, doesn't begin with Bismillah. And, and, and so after the death of the Prophet, peace be upon him, it's under Abu Bakr that they decide to write out the whole Quran. Mm-hmm. And then, a number of years later, it's under Uthman that they decide to standardize the whole Quran. But one of the questions is, is okay, if we're retaining it uh, uh, verbally, punctuation is just pauses. So, like, even when I'm speaking, you know, there's a pause, then there's a comma, but then there's a pause when there's a period. Mm-hmm. Right? A different type of pause. And a different sentence when there's a question mark. Right? Right. So... So, so one of the questions is, how do you preserve all that? And what if uh, it's hard to determine where the prophet specifically stopped for a surah? And so this becomes a part of consensus. And so, yeah, Surah uh, Al-Fil and Surah Quraysh uh, are, are, have been chosen, decided to be two separate surahs. And even... Uh, suppose there was surah, it gives a different dynamic to the to the this new super surah. So, yes, those are some of the issues that come up throughout the whole text. Another small example is when we're being told to say something, usually first it says Qul, say. Qul say I seek refuge in the Lord of people. Say God is one. Mm-hmm. Is a surah we're supposed to be saying. But it doesn't begin with oil. you know. So that becomes another big question. And so these are all the deliberations that the companions had to go through to figure out. All right, how do we finalize what the Quran is and such? And resources, any information we have from the Prophet peace be upon him. So then, so that's that. And then, so this surah is also making another point, which I made to another student that. Uh, the one point to always think about with the Quran is that it's always positioning itself in a moment and location in history. So if I just say something like actions are judged by intentions, that is a hadith, but it becomes its principle for all time and place. Right? It doesn't matter where you are, actions are judged by intentions. But that actual moment happened at a specific moment in the life of the Prophet, peace be upon him that uh, the prophet is telling everyone, okay, we all have to migrate to Yathrib, which later becomes Medina. And a guy comes up to the prophet to him and says, okay, I plan to, but the real reason I'm migrating is not because you're telling us to, it's because there's a woman up there I want to marry. And she says, if you move here, I'll marry, I'll marry you, right? And the prophet says, actually, they're judged by intentions. Yeah. But the thing is that that story is actually taking place in a moment in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, imagine if that man never came up and asked a question. Would we have this principle actions are judged by intentions? So one illustration that the Quran exists in a moment in history is because it comes in a specific language. Right? Right. It comes in not just Arabic. So as Daisies, we see this as pure Arabic. This is actually a very eloquent 
dialect of Arabic. Yeah. One specific dialect of Arabic that is highly eloquent. It's the, Ara uh, the Arabic of the Bedouins of the Hijaz. And so, so the point is that it's coming in in a specific language. And then all those questions, we might discuss some of this. It's speaking to people according to their outlook in the world. And so they're a patriarchal society. Mm -hmm. So it looks very frequently like the Quran is preferring men, which it may be or it may not be. I mean, it may be preferring men. It might be saying men are better and it's a man. Also, like, yeah, okay, that works. But uh, it could be that it's not preferring men. It's just it's addressing an audience that can't hear otherwise. Yeah. So another example of that is here. It's talking about the Quraysh. This is a tribe at the time of the Prophet. They were a dominant tribe. And again, what is the point that I'm making? That we, in our imagination of the Quran, we just take it and apply it for all time and place. But it doesn't work that way. Because uh, primarily this is speaking to that audience, that specific generation. But then we take the universal principles in it and then apply that for all time and place. Okay. There are some things where we copy exactly what they do, like acts of worship. You know, we do exactly what the prophet did, peace of mind, to the best of our ability. You know, but social interaction, gender interaction, clothing, that changes in every single culture. Right. So so that's, I mean, all that is is a point to all of us understand, but it's easy to, to overlook when we're saying the Quran is from all time and place. Yes, it is in its principles. Yeah. I was just talking about this with someone else too. Yes. <laughs> so it's interesting that it was brought up. But then I suppose my follow-up question to that will be, while I completely agree with you that there's like basic universal principles that are conveyed to us in the Quran that can be applied to mostly everything. Like, yes, it did take place in a specific time, but there were themes that are um, continued. What about things like, um, um, this was an example that came up that I didn't know how to respond to in the previous discussion with like a peer, um, with like gender roles. There's very specific gender roles and that was what we were discussing too. But then what about now people that don't identify um, as like either gender or like more complicated nuances like that. Well, I mean, some of that we did have back then uh, that people aren't familiar with. It. So, so the terminology was different because some of the details were different. Uh, but in terms of the organization of lines of prayer, mm -hmm. you're familiar with, okay, men start from the front, women start from the back. Mm -hmm. Literally, biologically, you're both. There you go. Wait, can you say that again? So biologically, you're both, literally, genetically. Where do you go? You the start in the middle. You're in the middle. That's the natural thing. Oh, snap. Never heard this before. Okay. And, and so, uh, so some of those things we actually did have, right? Um, what's new in our contemporary time is that you'll have a person who is biologically one gender, but is identifying uh, in terms of identity as a different gender. And so there, things haven't really been figured out, like how to accommodate for that. The default is you go, like in terms of acts of prayer, you go according to, you line up according to your uh, biological gender, your okay. biological sex, right? Uh, and one of the issues here is is that uh, uh, something I say physically, you know, I have 
you know, not really coming to man. And so I want to be with man. We actually had a, a, a situation like this in, in the MSA probably about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. A student who's transitioning. Mm-hmm. And, and um, born as a man was transitioning. And the and so what I suggested uh, to at the time to him uh, is if the women aren't going to be ready for you, is, is uh, he wanted to go straight into wudu in the women's area, pray in the women's area. And I said, you're going to make the women very, very uncomfortable if not frightened. So we have to ease in and take everything step by step. So I said, what if first, when it's time for prayer, you and I just pray together? people get comfortable with you and then we'll see what we can do right so, uh, that was actually moving too slow for him so sorry i played part of it very quickly and like when we get back to campus you're going to see there's other prayer rooms and in that hall of faiths and such and for most of them the whole point is it's a real world issue for which Full answers have not yet been figured out, right. but the conviction is that the principles are are there to be found. You know, so 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 we'll see. Okay. Other questions? No, that was it. Yeah. Uh, so we try. Oh, uh, another point I want to make is that in this. So you pointed to like how uh, in the sewer they're being called to to turn to a law and such. And here we also have some of the basic components of society as well. When Allah is speaking to them, mm-hmm. saying, all right, for the security of the Quraysh in the winter and the summer, uh, and for the well-being of the Quraysh, uh, you know, here's everything that's taking place. So let them turn to the, house, the Lord of this house. And we have some of the key parts of society. One key part of society, of course, is worship. Another is security. Another is shelter and sustenance. And another is trade and travel. And so these are like four different things that are mentioned in the sewer. Think of these as the core elements of society. That the goal of the believers is to make sure these different elements of society are all healthy for everybody. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Let's uh, let's see how far we get in the next sewer. Do you want okay. to do that now or do you want to do that next time? Your call. Um, we can do it next time because it's pretty long and there's like five minutes okay. left. Okay, yeah, so we'll stop right here and so So next time we will be doing Surat Al-Fil, Surah 105. Uh, did you have any further last questions about anything? No, I didn't. Okay, so we'll stop right here. Uh-huh. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nasta firuka wa atubu ilayhi.